Hey, Question of the Day listeners, this is Stephen Dubner. I want to let you know we've got something special coming up next week. Not only will we be putting out five episodes next week instead of the usual three, but we're also having our first ever guest co-host. It will be Manoush Zamarodi, who does the hit podcast Note to Self. So if you love Manoush even half as much as James and I love Manoush, well, you're going to love you some Manoush. So if you don't already subscribe to Question of the Day, why don't you go ahead and do that right now? Go ahead. I'll wait. And then you will be automatically getting the five special episodes next week and all our episodes. You can also review Question of the Day on iTunes. Five-star ratings are, of course, preferable. Finally, let us know what you think of this guest co-host experiment. You can tweet us at QOD. And if you have other suggestions for future co-guest hosts, let us know. Hey, James. Steven. You feel like asking or answering? Pitching or catching? I'm going to, when you put it that way, I'm definitely asking. Uh, pitching. All right, go for it. Let me squat <laughs> into the catcher's position. Well, I was a catcher, you know. That was my position in baseball. Really? I was, um, I played a very important position. Let me guess. The, the Let league. me guess. Were you the statistician? No, I was in right field. Oh, you were? <laughs> I didn't know you played baseball. Little I league. thought you'd said, you, yeah. When, you know, a lot of left-handed hitters hit very strong shots into right field. Heck yeah. yeah. So you have good I memories had, of that? an important role. I remember basically just lying down for the whole game. <laughs> So, and like no one noticed or cared or anything. So this thing that you've told me about before where to get out of your comfort zone, you you sometimes will lie down on the sidewalk in New York City. So you're saying I'm used to lying down in all sorts of situations. Yes, I'll lie down wherever I could. Good to know. I'll sleep, anything. Mm -hmm. Nothing can stop me. It's funny. My exposure to you as friends and backgammon partners and podcast partners, I don't really see a lot of lying down and... Well, we're not going to lie down while we're playing backgammon. We have a table. Why not? We, well, we should try it. Maybe we should like go, a Passover hey, backgammon. This summer, let's do some reclining and backgammoning. Let's, let's do it on the sidewalk. I mean, play backgammon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like I don't like sidewalks, dirt-wise. I think I'm a... Uh, I think, so that same episode, you were a total germaphobe. And like, I think I think, think for I think you... think too much about it? So, no, no. I think what's a great challenge is... For me, I'll get out of my comfort zone by playing backgammon on the side, like while lying on the sidewalk. For you, you'll get over your germophobia. Maybe you're right. By playing back, you're not going to get sick. See, here's the problem: with the germs on the side. It might be disgusting, but you're not going to get sick. Here's the problem: you have to, you know, you have to challenge your immune system every once in a while. You have to expose yourself. Well, That's the I'm whole exp- purpose I'm of vaccination. Exp- I expose myself to you all the time with question of the day, and you're the one lying on the sidewalk. So I'm just doing it, but secondhand. So doesn't that count? And have you gotten mentally ill yet? No, I thought we were talking about. It's actually improved your mental agility and strength. I wasn't talking about exposure to mental. I was talking about exposure to actual, you know, bacteria and and viruses. Just so the audience knows, I am like Schroeder in Charlie Brown. Pigpen. Peanuts, yeah. Pigpen, yeah. Pigpen, sorry. Sorry, you're right. You play a little piano? No, no, but I am like Pigpen. In what ways? Well, as you can see, there's constant dirt and flies flying around me. I don't see flies. Maybe Just mosquitoes, dirt. yeah, yeah, and dirt. You know, see, here's my thing. I'm not really a germaphobe, but what I love to do is not be sick, and I take an inordinate pride, an inordinate amount of pride in not getting sick or in getting sick seldom, and I have no idea if my germophobia is responsible for that. Might be, might not be. I, there's no way to know. I will bet the one thing, the most important thing of all is just sleeping eight hours a day. I bet you you sleep eight plus hours a day. I'm a heck of a sleeper. 
So wait, did we have a did we hit the question? I think, uh, no, I think you have a question for me. Okay, so Stephen, this question is totally addressed to you. Where's it from? From Quora, oh. a little known site called Quora.com. And the we qu- should just say sometimes we go for Quora questions. There are weeks and weeks, maybe days and days where I ignore Quora. You too? Yeah, sometimes. But you I know what's nice is now people Quora. are tweeting to us. By the way, it's a good idea to tweet to us at QOD and send questions because those are fun. It's fun to take questions from listeners. Absolutely. All right, anyway, what do you got? What makes intelligent people intelligent? Hmm. What has made you intelligent? You're, you're, and, and I guess define intelligence a little bit. I'll define it in that— You don't really need me at all for this, do you? Asked and <laughs> well, answered I by James you, I want no, I'm not answering. I'm just defining intelligence. Okay. You're, you know a lot of facts, so that's a, a, not an important part of intelligence. I would argue that's the lowest form of all intelligence. All right, that's fine. That's fine. It's the lowest part of intelligence, but you know a lot, which means you've remembered a lot. So I have a pretty bad memory, actually. But, uh, but you, considering how much I absorb, I remember very little. You remember the word non-crepidorious or Ultra, whatever. Ultra-crepidarian. Oh, whatever. I See, I didn't remember that. And but can I tell you, the only reason I remember that is because I wrote about it in, I think, Think Like a Freak. We had a section. We talked about experts. And so I, I lived with that word for a couple years in the book. But that's my point. Is well, like headline, The only way I learn something is by doing it again and again and again, even when it's learning a word. Okay, so is that... Well, I mean, so there's a lot of other aspects of intelligence. Like, you know the right questions to ask. You're an excellent interviewer. What You're, do you mean by that? Uh, <laughs> How does that make you feel? <laughs> so, How'd you get that spot on your nose? As an example. Right. So I'm on fire. And when people respond to you, you're good at improvisation and proper follow-up questions and so on. So what do you mean by that? You're, you're, <laughs> you're analyzing as you go along, which is a sign of intelligence. You're creative. So Tall, what makes— good-looking. I wasn't going to go I was going to go over there, but that's, that's I have pretty true. good teeth. You know, we've gotten feedback that you— about questions of the day that you have a porn star's voice. So, you know, that— Who said could, that? It was feedback that we got. A porn star's voice? <laughs> or a phone sex line voice. Oh, okay. So, different. Yeah. So, f- Slightly different. A, a, a radio porn voice, right. not a TV porn voice. So, <clears throat> what makes intelligent people intelligent? What makes you so intelligent? Well, James, let me say. <laughs> so, I don't think about myself and whether I am or am not intelligent because, I don't know why, I think it kind of goes against my family upbringing. Like, the kind of family that I grew up in, I realize that many families have different vibes. It was kind of like a, an always, like a, like never promote yourself or never take credit even for the things that you do do, especially the things that you don't do. And as I've gotten older and became a professional, you know, a, an adult. Phone sex hotline <laughs> operator. And a writer, all these realms that are very competitive, I felt myself over the years become more of a, you know, self-promoter, all that stuff that doesn't necessarily come with the territory, but it kind of does. And it all goes against my nature in a way. So if I find myself having that thought about, oh, I'm pretty smart, the six-year-old in me immediately feels like, you know what, that's not a fruitful avenue of thought. And so I don't think about that so much. But I would say say that that is part of the key to your intelligence is that you're not thinking um, all the time about what your next goals or accomplishments. You're not thinking, you're not obsessively thinking about yourself. I think you're curious. And this is what I've noticed about you since we met, because you initially I was an interview subject. You were, you you were uh, in a... You were incredibly curious. You listened to everything. You never really offered a lot about yourself. But, you know, the key to intelligence is listening more than you talk. So I'm totally failing in this particular episode. (laughs) So, but I think the key to intelligence is, is simply being curious all the time, like that beginner's mind thing. 
after this one message. We'll be right back. How should I manage my money? Whether you are a multi-million dollar investor, like James Altucher, or just starting out, the answer is Betterment. Today is the perfect day to take control of your financial future, and Betterment, America's largest automated investing service, can help you do that. Betterment has developed advanced technology that automates your investing. This helps you make better financial decisions, and since your Betterment account invests with your personal goals in mind, you'll have added peace of mind. And don't be mistaken, Betterment is not a day trading tool. That's important because day trading is fill in the blank. It is an easy to use way for experienced investors to confidently manage their portfolios in a less expensive way. Betterment is already managing billions of dollars for more than 100,000 customers. Don't you want to be a smarter investor? Remember, it is never too late to save for retirement or any other reason, maybe a business startup, et cetera, et cetera. And Betterment has changed the industry by making investing easier and at a lower cost. Get up to six months of automated investing free and more information when you go to Betterment.com slash question. That's Betterment.com slash question. Betterment, investing made better. I would definitely not disagree with that at all. I'm being that, open to what people tell you, so you're allowed to be more curious as opposed to judgmental. Well, it's interesting you say that because one um, realm of research that I've been really interested in for the past, you know, several years, I mean, this is a pretty narrow thing, but I, I'm I'm interested in it because I think it has hugely broad implications. There is this line of research, and it's not the most empirical research. There are a lot of psychologists and legal scholars and maybe some economists in it. So it's not purely empirical, but I think it's pretty good. And it's a bunch of people who, through a bunch of experimentation and surveys and analysis, have come to the conclusion that the smarter a given person is, the more likely they are to hold extreme views on political or hot-button issues or ideological issues. And that that strikes me, and I would think would strike a lot of people as counterintuitive because we like to think that education, which we think aligns a lot with intelligence, the whole goal is kind of have this very rounded, moderate view of the world to not be extreme in your views. Like, I think that guns or nuclear power or climate change has got to be totally like this on one side of the spectrum and the other. But what the research seems to show is that very smart people are really good at seeking out evidence that confirms what they already believe to be true, and they're smart enough to avoid anything that might contradict their views and their biases. So that, to me, is a kind of intelligence or a kind of intelligent person that I never want to be. But I don't I, think that's that doesn't strike me as intelligent because then you get into this whole thing. Well, it depends how you're defining intelligent. These people are, by the common definition, very intelligent. Right, but I wouldn't define it that way. I would define it almost by an ability to accept and process new information. That's that's the that's that's the whole idea of developing a prefrontal cortex for humans is that we are the only species that really can adapt to different environments. So different environments in today's day and age might mean different intellectual ideas or concepts or or you know innovations or technologies. So the whole idea of how intelligence has has evolved has been one of adaptation as opposed to one of accumulation or, you know, whatever. I hate to agree with you so thoroughly on that point, but I agree. Like, that is the kind of intelligence that I treasure. But that said, I think that there are plainly many different kinds of intelligence. I mean, look, in the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a lot of 
categorizing of kinds of intelligence, right? Emotional intelligence and blah, 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 blah. So I think it's true that there are different ways to be what most people would call intelligent. So what was your, what was your original question? What what makes someone intelligent? Yeah. And, 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 do, and when you answer that question, sort of like how can you practice in some sense being more intelligent? Look, I... I would have to go right to your answer, really, which is I feel that intelligence is kind of a methodology or a process whereby you use your senses, not just your intellect, but all your senses, to observe as fully as you can and try to understand as honestly as you can what's truly happening around you. And the one area that I would brag on myself a little bit about is I judge myself at least to be an observant person. If there's a group of people, if there's a couple people, I notice and observe and bank things that to me are useful in either learning or gathering more information or coming to conclusions or trying to sort out some cause and effect. And I find that there are a lot of other people who on paper are way smarter than I are who simply... I am. I was just going to correct some grammar there. Uh, did I say that I are? Uh, people who are much smarter than I are, are. <laughs> Thank you. That's smart. <laughs> I is so smart today that, um, anyway, you know you know where that sentence was going to end, that, that, that don't, that aren't, that are weirdly not observant. Um, so... I'll, I'll go one step further about you. Go two steps further. So what the hell? Freakonomics, massive bestseller. Say it with a Scottish... The I, best pronunciation freak, I ever heard. Economic. I can't do it. <laughs> Levitt and I were in England. I think we were promoting our first, maybe second, I think first book. And we were in a BBC studio and um, <laughs> and there were like three or four hosts and it was live. So they're doing on the hour and somebody's reading the news and somebody's doing this. And there was one guy sitting between Levitt and me and he hadn't talked at all. And I thought he was just like an engineer or going to read the news or something. But he was actually the host. And we it was just such a, a frenzied thing. We hadn't been introduced at all. They just bring you into the studio, sit you down, tell you which mic to get on. And then he began the segment by saying the name of the book. And that's the way he was going to start talking to us. But he said it in such a way. So, his, so here's his, he'd say, Freakonomics is a book. And it was just such a bizarro Scottish bleat, like wonderful, but it scared us both so much that we just spent the next two minutes laughing and we had like a three-minute segment, so we weren't very successful on the radio. Freakonomics! And I realize it, it lends itself to Scottish. <laughs> well, I, I will, will not do... I can't attempt to do a Scottish accent as good as you, but what I will mention is that people think Freakonomics is like all these interesting facts and quirky and aha you know, moments. you know otherwise. And I think what makes Freakonomics a success versus all of the competitors that came out afterwards uh, or even before is that you connected to the story of each person who had done the science behind all these aha moments. So it was really a collection of stories about these aha moments. Now, and I think that's from you observing and making that connection that nobody else was making. So yeah. why did, like, I don't know, the person who paid for monkeys to have sex with each other, um, or, you know... You he didn't pay yeah, for them to have... The yeah. monkeys paid. Right. Uh, why, he gave where, him the money, though. Where did that person come from? Like, here's you connecting the dots on all those stories. he was a Marxist before he became an economist, which, you're right, that led him to have an understand not an understanding of money, but a curiosity about money, that someone... He was an immigrant who grew up in middle America, who became a Marxist and then an economist who ended up at Yale, right? So, and that's how you get 
I mean, that's the kind of intelligence I admire because he's been kind of around the map. But you connecting the dots on that story, okay, so story adds value to anything. You'd rather buy an object that has a story behind it than just an object off a website with no story. Did you know that, uh, here's what's interesting to me. So you think that Freakonomics, for instance, has some different traits that make it, quote, better. You said I think so. There's, I think that's the fact that you embedded into the story so well and right, you I, connected I the hear dots. You, and you, do, you can only do that if you're good at observing and listening. All right, I, I, that's nice of you to say, but here's my, here's my point. You may have gone looking for some explanation for why a book that I happen to write is, quote, better or good because you know me and like me. No, so but, in other words, but if I, have you a, were, I have a contrast to that. Not that I don't like you. All right, I've actually written several times. We can actually see three or four of my articles over the past 13 years yeah. analyzing why Freakonomics is so, it was so good and so popular. And my answers changed. So my, my final but that answer... that still could all be all of your... You might just keep finding different reasons... No, Based I, but, on your but I changed my reasons as opposed to adding to my reasons. That's okay. But look, let's look at it this way. Let's pretend that rather... So I, you and I met in 2003, I think. Two. 2000, late 2002, right? Yeah. And I was working on a book that was about the psychology of money, kind of behavioral economics, and but kind of a personal, a, a storytelling version. And this book would have been called uh, Money Makes Me Happy, parenthesis, except when it doesn't. And I met you, I, I sent, you know, the way you do when you start working on a project like this is you you start asking everybody you know um, for good ideas, good people, information. And a friend of mine told me about you, and we started to hang out, and I was writing about you, and you were going to be the first chapter in that book. And actually, that chapter was written when I got started on Freakonomics, I ended up writing Freakonomics, put that book away. So it could be that if, let's say, Malcolm Gladwell or Michael Lewis was writing the book and met you then and put that book in a drawer and instead was going on to write The Blind Side and The Big Short in Michael's case or in Malcolm's case, you know, Outliers and David and Goliath, et cetera, et cetera, Blink, Tipping Point, you might have found a way through your personal feelings toward this person that you knew to find, oh, that's the one that's better. See, it's like, do you ever think about how amazing it is that like most people who are religious stay within their religion for their lives? They might lapse, they might even go to zero, but very few people really convert. So how weird is it that of like the X billion out of the 7 billion people on the earth that so few of them ever say, you know what, this is a belief system and a, a system of whatever, rituals, language, food, whatever, that I happen to be born into. All right, but the only— But I'm going to stick in it and then persuade yourself that it is the best. That's what people do with religion, and that stuns me. Okay, but relating this to why I think Freakonomics was successful, I actually changed my views— when I appreciated yeah, the value yeah, of your Yeah, but you stayed on the same God. It's like saying, I love Jesus because but Freakonomics the teachings. Is and then a year later, you're like, I love Jesus because the humility. But Free- and then it's, I love Jesus because the beard and okay, the flowing white robes. To all give, of which are lovable. To give you credit, Freakonomics is objectively successful. Whereas all these religions, we don't You're saying Jesus know. is not successful? <laughs> Jesus is successful. We, Jesus don't, is, we don't objectively know what, what the truth is what of re- any religion, whereas Freakonomics has the numbers that says it's successful, so it's worth analyzing or thinking about and studying successes around you, mm-hmm. which is what I did, and I've changed my answers over time, and I really think it's your ability 
to, again, connect the dots on the story as opposed to just coming up with the aha moments. I appreciate it. I don't like I don't like compliments, I guess is what we're getting to. I know. I, I really, have a really hard time. I, really, this is the most resistance Let, I've ever had on <laughs> podcast I, with you. Can I ask you an unrelated question that is related to Jesus Christ only? Yes. So my son... Us Solomon, being two Jews talking about Jesus. That's, well, that's really three great. G, three Jews then. So my son, whose name is Solomon, which happens to be the name of my, my father. So anyway, Solomon, uh, we have a dog in our family, a dog named Fifi that we like very, very much. You've met the dog. The dog loves you. You do not love the dog, James. So that's okay. It's not a problem. But anyway, Solomon loves the dog so much and thinks the dog is so awesome and perfect that he came up with a new nickname for her name is Fifi. And that he now calls her Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is to those who, you know, believe and love him, the apogee, you know, he's, he's essentially a form of perfection. Do you find that sacrilegious? Cause he's always asking me, is it okay? Cause like it started as a kind of joke, but he calls her that because he feels she's, you know, perfect. I think sacrilegious is a, a subjective thing. So if you take a picture of a statue of Buddha, for instance, and post it on your Facebook wall, is that sacrilegious? I've done this before, and uh, some people write in and saying that is very sacrilegious, and other people don't seem to notice. So it's more of a subjective thing. Then you have to ask, would Jesus care? Uh, Chances are he wouldn't. So I would say that's the defining point of He was just another nice Jewish guy. He'd come visit the dog. Well, or raise him from the dead when the dog eventually dies. Oh. Dog, have you told Solomon the dog is going to die at some point? Then we'll just uh, call him Lazarus and wait around for the next step. Don't forget, next week, Question of the Day, we'll be putting out five episodes, Monday through Friday, with special guest co-host Manoush Zamarodi, host of the hit podcast Note to Self. And don't forget to subscribe to Question of the Day on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And that way, you won't miss this. Every, every, every year I go through this. Oh, meaning you really care about this? Oh, yes, very much. Sorry, one other rule. We don't care. No, you have to care. We care about the questions. We don't care about the answers. Right, so I'm glad to see I'm already taking the show in a new direction. (laughs) Um, Okay, here's my question. If the economy stopped growing... Because we stopped buying crap. Crap? Stuff. Stuff. Consumerism stuff. What would really happen? Like, what would the consequences be? Question of the Day is produced and mixed by Nathan Rossborough with Allison Hockenberry. 